Thank you so much. Let me invite you to take your Bible this morning and turn to the book of Ruth in chapter number one. <clears throat> the book of Ruth in chapter number one. I'd like to begin reading this morning in Ruth chapter one and verse number one. Ruth chapter one, verse number one. And what a joy and a blessing it is to be at Grace Baptist Church and have the opportunity to open the Bible and preach, Thus saith the Lord. In times like these, the songwriter said, We need the Bible. And uh, my, like never before, God's people need a revival of a love for His Word and a love for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for a good warm welcome on a good cold day, and it's just a good thing to be with God's people in God's church. Now you have your Bible this morning to the book of Ruth in chapter number 1. I, I like to begin reading in Ruth 1, verse number 1. <clears throat> Indeed, the book of Ruth is an amazing book in the Word of God. In the Old Testament, it is the only book that is named after someone who's a non-Israelite. But even more than that, we are reminded 14 times in the book of Ruth that Ruth is Ruth the Moabitess, or that Ruth is from the land of Moab. And while you and I perhaps just read that as some kind of historical context, that's a powerful statement. Because quite frankly, the book of Ruth was an impossibility in the minds of most people that God would ever go to the land of Moab and find a Moabitess and bring her into the city of Bethlehem and, and use her to do the works that God did. It's, this story is incredible. Why, the people of Moab had a curse hanging over them. They were famous in the Old Testament, famous for being the enemies of the people of God. They were famous for their attacks against the children of God and, and the fact that God could use Ruth the Moabitess in such an incredibly powerful way. I mean, when we come to this story, we just find ourselves shaking our head, saying how great are the mercies of God. It's in a powerful story. It's an incredible story of this Ruth the Moabitess. And we come to Ruth chapter 1, verse number 1. It starts like this. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons, and the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, you might say Naomi or Naomi. Naomi would be, I think, how the Hebrews would say it in that day. And the name of his two sons, Malon and Kilian, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons, and they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Kilium died also, both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Father, we pray for your blessing now as we open the Bible. Help us, Lord, to have ears that are ready to hear and a heart ready to respond to what the Word of God says. I pray you would help your people this morning and make us strong in convictions for the Bible. Oh, Father, we desperately need you to do a work that we cannot do. So we come in the mighty name of the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In verse number one, the Bible says it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. And so we have the time frame for the book of Ruth. If we were to put it on a, on a little timeline in the Bible, well, the book of Ruth takes place somewhere in the book of Judges, somewhere between Judges chapter 2 and uh, Judges chapter 10. The Bible says it was in the days when the judges ruled. And, of course, if there is a commentary on the days when the judges ruled, that would be the very last verse of the book of Judges. If you go back a page, you'll notice in Judges 21-25, 
In those days, there was no king in Israel. And when there's no king, here's the problem. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That is the story of the book of Judges. Why, well, I, I don't know if you've ever read the book of Judges. I hope you have. But if you do, you kind of shake your head, don't you? And you start reading through the book of Judges and you read a chapter and you say, my, it can't get any worse than that. Then, of course, all you have to do is read the next chapter and it finds a way of getting worse. I mean, somebody called it the soap opera of the Bible, and that's pretty much the story, isn't it? I mean, even when the heroes in the book of Judges are guys like Samson and Gideon, it pretty much tells us what we need to know. And the Bible tells us that humans, Israel, they are getting worse and worse. Even the good days are a whole lot worse than the good days used to be. They are spiraling away from God. And of course they are, because in those days there was no king. Not only was there no King David or there was no King Josiah, but there was no king of glory ruling over them. And when there is no authority in my life or no authority in your life, when there is no authority leading a nation, then the Bible tells us humans make themselves the own standard. And that's why the book of Judges has a way of repeating itself, doesn't it? I'm quite certain these are the days that describe the days which we live today. Humans have said we don't want God in our life. We don't want God in his word in our family. We don't want the Bible in our society. So they set themselves as the standard. I will decide what right and wrong is. I will decide the direction that I must go. And the Bible tells us that humans said, we are going to do what is right in our own eyes. No wonder when you read the book of Judges, it is nothing but chaos. It is nothing but disaster everywhere you turn. So right in the middle of the book of Judges, somewhere between Judges 2 and Judges 10, we have the story of Ruth chapter number 1. What a story it is. The Bible tells us in a society where they had abandoned God, they were doing things their own way, the Word of God tells us in verse number 1, there was a famine in the land. Well, of course there's a famine in the land. That's exactly what God promised in Leviticus 25 and 26. God said to the people of Israel that if you're going to abandon me and if you're going to reject me, then God said, I'm going to deal with you. And one of the many ways that God promised to deal with Israel, he promised to deal with them with a famine. So this famine in the land was not an accident. It was God bringing judgment upon Israel for their sins. Can I just stop and say that when it comes to the judgment of God, we need to get a correct Bible understanding of this. Now, in the Old Testament, God would deal with Israel. He would bring famines, earthquakes, floods, etc. And, of course, there is coming a day in the Bible we call the tribulation where God is going to send these great cataclysms and judgments upon the earth again. But, you know, it's fascinating when you go to Romans chapter 1 and you find ourselves in the time frame of the Bible that God has chosen a different way for his judgments today. You know, when the earthquake comes, when a hurricane comes, when there's a volcano someplace, you know, we're awfully quick to say, well, God's judging those people. But, you know, those hurricanes and those volcanoes and tornadoes, they have a way of, of dealing with righteous people too. No, in Romans chapter 1, the Bible very, very clearly tells us what the judgment of God looks like in the day you and I live. There, the Bible tells us how people abandon the word of God. Just like it was in the days of Judges, 
In Romans chapter 1, they don't want God. They say we are not going to tolerate God in our lives. We don't want God in our society. So do you know what Romans 1 says? It doesn't say God will send a fire or flood, but what it does say is that God will give them over four times. God will give them over. In other words, God says, if you don't want me and if you don't want my standards, then you're going to get what you want. But when you come to the end of Romans chapter 1, quite frankly, it's frightening. Because in Romans 1, the Bible says you're going to get a society that is overflowing. It is filled with all kinds of unrighteousness and uncleanness and sexual sins and immorality and danger and murder. God says, if you abandon me, your society is going to be overflowing with wickedness and sin. I got to tell you, an earthquake or a flood's got nothing on a society that is replete, a society that is bursting in its own wickedness. And that's what God tells us in Romans chapter 1. It's what the judgment of God looks like in our day and in our hour. But you know, to the land of Israel, a theocracy, a nation bent on the word of God, God said, if you're going to do it your way and not my way, well, then expect a famine in the land. So sure enough, in Ruth chapter 1, verse number 1, the Bible says there was a, a famine in the land. Now, it's a fascinating thing, isn't it? Because it's the famines in the land or the hard times where we find out what kind of Christian we really are. You know, it's one thing to serve the Lord when there's money in the bank and, and there's food in the freezer. And it's one thing to serve the Lord when everything looks good. But when the hard times come and the troubles come, uh, well, all of a sudden in a minute, you find out what kind of Christian we really are, don't we? Am I going to trust the Lord in the good days and the bad days? Am I going to trust in the Lord when I lose my job? Am I going to trust in the Lord when the doctor shakes his head and says, I'm sorry, the news is not good? Am I going to trust the Lord when there's the difficulties and the hard paths in my life? And so we come to Ruth chapter number one, and the Bible says there was a famine in the land. So we're going to meet a gentleman in Ruth one. We're going to meet a gentleman who should have known better, but a man who's going to make some choices because of a famine in the land. Notice in verse number two, the name of the man was Elimelech. Now, in the Old Testament, names were incredibly important. Names were chosen to describe somebody's character, maybe somebody's lifestyle. Oftentimes, parents would carefully choose names because it was the goal, it was the direction, it's how they wanted to rear their child. I think nowadays, most parents name their children by what sounds the prettiest or, or what sounds the coolest. But you know, in Bible times, it was kind of like a nickname would be. It was describing the character of a life. In Bible times, if you knew somebody's name, it meant you knew their essence. It meant you knew something about them. You knew them in a, a unique and a powerful way. So when we come to verse number two, uh, and the Bible tells us the gentleman of our story is named Elimelech, there's some things we learn in a hurry. The name Elimelech means my God, the God of Israel is my king. So we must have had an awfully good mom and dad. Why, the little child is born and mom and dad say, no, 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 the world will not be king. Uh, the things of the world, the silver and the gold will not be king. But we are going to train our child to make God, the God of Israel, the king of his life. My God is my king. What a great name is the name Elimelech. The problem is though he has a good name, I'm afraid that as we make our way through root chapter number one, 
we discover that Elimelech, whose name means my God is my king, is actually going to decide that my wallet is my king. So notice how the Bible describes it. The word of God says the name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi. Well, now, Naomi is a wonderful name. It means to be sweet. It means to be pleasant. It's a great name. I, I mean, we've got an awfully good family if they would only live up to their names. I, we've got a man who says, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I, Jehovah, the God of Israel, he is the king of my life. He is married to a woman whose name means to be sweet and to be pleasant and to be kind and, and gracious. It's a great name. I mean, if only they had lived up to their names, what a difference it would have been. So we have Elimelech and we have Naomi, and the Bible tells us they have two sons. The name of the first son is Malon. The name of the second is Killian. Now all of a sudden there's some heartache. The name Malon means to be sickly. Perhaps he was born sick. I perhaps as a young boy there was a disease and maybe there was a question whether or not he would live. And the word Killian, it's, a, it's even a little worse. It means to be pining. That word was tied in with the word for annihilation and why I don't know for sure why you would call one boy sickness and why you would call the other guy destruction. But, but then again, they were boys, so you know how that works in a family. And, and so the two little guys got some pretty strange names but in a funny way, that name Killian would be a real prophecy, wouldn't it? Because by the time we get to the middle of Ruth chapter 1, there is a family about to be destroyed. So now we have a dad. My God is my king. He's married to a woman, Naomi, sweetness and pleasantness. Everything looks to be fine. And if that weren't enough, you'll notice in verse number 2, uh, the Bible tells us that they were Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. Well, now that's significant. Because if you go back to the history of Bethlehem, and they're kind of a lengthy thing to do, but, but if you do, you will discover that the founding fathers of the city of Bethlehem, well, they came from the family of Caleb. The very same Caleb. There's a couple Caleb's in the Old Testament, but I mean that same Caleb who said, I want that mountain. That old man who said, I don't care how old I am. I don't care how big that mountain is. I don't care how great the enemies are. I don't care how high those walls may be. That old man who said, I'm trusting God to give me the victory. Why, it was his descendants that founded the city of Bethlehem. That man, Caleb, was married to a woman named Ephrah. So when you see in verse number two uh, that this Elimelech family were Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, then all of a sudden we realized they were a family that was esteemed. I mean, this wasn't some ordinary family. The Ephrathites, well, they were the aristocracy. I, the Ephrathites, they were the special family. I mean, they were the ones who could get their lineage all the way back to the founding fathers. They were the ones that went all the way back to Caleb. So I gotta tell you, when we talk about this Elimelech family, we're not talking about a run-of-the-mill average family. We're not talking about some ordinary thing. We are talking about a family that was esteemed. We are talking about a family that had some money. We are talking about a very respected family in Bethlehem. And that's what made it all the worse when there was a famine in the land. You know, we learn later in Ruth chapter 4 that when the famine hit, it evidently was so bad that, that well, this man, Mr. Elimelech, had to sell his family plot of land and they had to sell it to whoever so somebody else could work the land. And, and what a heartbreaking thing that must have been. Oh, in the back of their minds, they knew that every 50 years, that land would be returned to the family 
But you know, 50 years from now is not going to get it done when you're hungry today. And when there's a famine in the land today and you don't know where the next meal's coming from and you're going home to a wife and you've got those two little fellas, well, something has to be done right now. So the man has sold his lamb. These are desperate times when there is a famine in the land. So it gets so bad, you'll notice at the end of verse number one, a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab. The famine is too intense. The land has been sold. The next step for Elimelech would be to sell himself as a slave. So before he goes there, Elimelech's got a choice to make. Can you imagine as he sits down with his family and says, I think what we're going to do uh, is we're going to move down to the land of Moab. Moab was maybe a three days journey. As the crow would fly, oh, maybe 65, 70 kilometers away, not that far. And yet some Bible scholars and some liberal seminary professors have laughed at this. And they have said, really, there's no famine down in Moab, but there is a famine in Bethlehem. How could that be only a few kilometers away? But, you know, living in western United States, as you folks live in western Canada, you know, we all recognize there's a big difference in elevations. It's not so much distance that way, but when you start climbing, everything changes in a hurry. And indeed, the elevations are different. And if that weren't enough, between Bethlehem and Moab, there was this little thing called the Dead Sea. And for those reasons, climates could and are very, very different. So the Bible tells us it's time for Elimelech to make a choice. Can you imagine the conversation? You know, I wasn't there, but I got to tell you, folks, I'm pretty sure I can hear it. And I can hear Elimelech go sit down with his rabbi and, and you know, rabbi preacher, there's a famine in the land. And of course, the rabbi knew that too. And I can hear Elimelech saying, you know, <clears throat> rabbi, I've heard there's no famine down there in the land of Moab. And, and I'm thinking I'm going to take my wife, Naomi, and I think I'm going to take my boys, Malon and Killian, and we're going to move on down to Moab. And you know, right about there, I'm pretty sure I know what the rabbi did. I can see the rabbi pull out a scroll and open it to Deuteronomy 7 and explain to him the Bible says, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. You know, sometimes, don't you wonder, what do we humans have a problem with the words thou shalt not? Oh, people say, well, oh, the Bible's so complicated. Really? Uh, what is so complicated about thou shalt not? Yeah, it's not so hard, is it? And when God said thou shalt not go to Moab, I mean, you don't have to be a Rhodes Scholar. You don't have to be a Bible Scholar to know God doesn't want me to take my boys and move down to Moab. And you know, the Lord gave the reason. It wasn't just Moab, but Moab was at the top of the list. And God said the reason is because you take your sons, they're going to grow up, their hearts are going to go thump, thump, thump. They're going to meet a young lady. They're going to say, wilt thou? And they're going to get wilted. You know, they're going to get married. And your boys are going to marry pagan daughters. Your daughters are going to marry pagan sons. So God says, don't do it. The Bible says, don't go to Moab. And I can almost hear the conversation. Of course, I wasn't there, but I can hear it. I can hear this fellow Elimelech say, you know, Rabbi, I think we're going down to Moab. And I can hear the rabbi as he opens the Bible and puts his finger on the verse and says, don't go, thou shalt not. And I, I think I know what happens next. I can almost hear Elimelech say, well, you know, Rabbi, I prayed about it, and I've got peace. The old, I prayed about it, and I've got peace. You know when Christians use, use that, do you know what they're really saying? They're saying, okay, I know what I'm going to do next violates the Bible. I know what I'm doing now is exactly what God doesn't want me to do, but I figure 
that if I go tell Pastor White I prayed about it and I've got peace, that that's going to take care of everything. That somehow if we just pray about it and get peace that we work up in our hearts, that all of a sudden it's okay to disobey the Word of God. Well, if we get peace about something that God said not to do, then we've got the wrong kind of peace in our hearts. We don't follow some peace that we work up. We follow the Word of God. And when we violate the Word of God, it doesn't matter whether we've got peace about it or not because I can just about hear that conversation. I prayed about it, and I've got peace. And the next thing you know, Mystery Limelech is making his way towards Moab. What a disaster this is going to be. Now, notice, if you would, in your Bible, the Word of God tells us that Mystery Limelech and then his family are going to make some choices. And they are choices that lead to destruction and ruin every single day. Would you notice in Ruth chapter number one, let me give you this morning six choices that first Elimelech makes and then the family of Elimelech make. And every one of these choices are going to draw them farther away from God. Would you notice choice number one? The Bible tells us that he left Bethlehem, Judah. It says a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab. So choice number one, I will leave Bethlehem, Judah. The name Bethlehem Judah means the house of bread and the house of praise. So here is a man saying, I am willing to leave the house of bread and praise. I am willing to entertain that thought in my mind. It is okay for me because I need the money. It is okay for me because there's a financial problem in my life to leave the house of bread and the house of praise. You know, going into the land of Moab, they're not going to be given the bread of life, the word of God. Going into the land of Moab, they are not going to bow down their knee to the holy God of Israel. They worship an idol named Chemosh. No, sir, going into the land of Moab, they don't have a house of bread. They don't have the house of praise. But this man was willing to leave the house of bread and praise. You know, it's always the first step in a step of ruin. It's always the first choice, and it seems to be such a little one, doesn't it? But a man will say, I don't need my local church. I don't need the house where I hear the bread of life. I don't need to gather with God's people and lift up my voice and sing praises to him. The house of bread, the house of praise, for you and for me, our Bethlehem Judah is the New Testament local church. And when we convince ourselves that we don't need the house of bread and praise, that we can make it without God's church, then we have just taken the first decision the first step in a life of ruin. The man was willing to leave the house of bread and the house of praise. You know, so many times people tell somebody like Brother White, you can almost hear him say it. Well, you know, Pastor White, <clears throat> I can be just as good a Christian out fishing on the lake as I can be in church on Sunday. I can be just as good a Christian sitting watching a, a hockey match than I can be sitting in church on Sunday. I can be just as good a Christian in my house as I can be sitting in, and you know the answer to that is no, you can't. Uh, no, you can't. This is the kind of human thinking that we create and we convince ourselves of things. Jesus didn't say, if you love me, disobey my word. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And one great commandment for a Christian in the word of God is to forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. That's the assembly of the New Testament local church. 
No, if somebody's out hunting or fishing this morning and they're not in a New Testament church, they are not honoring God. They are disobeying God. And it's impossible to be a good Christian when we're disobeying God. You know, we have all these rational things that we come up with and we start talking ourselves into believing things. And instead of going to the Bible, we go to our friends. And of course, our friends agree with us. And if my friends agree with me, it only proves how right I am. And we come up with our own human thinking and our own human way of doing things but if you and I are willing to say, I don't need the house of bread and praise, I don't need a New Testament local church, it is the first step in a series of choices that'll ruin a life. You know, in my country, I I'm ashamed to admit this, tonight they have a little football game. I mean, a real football game, okay, sorry. But tonight, there are going to be independent Baptist churches that are gonna close their service so that people can stay home and watch an American football game. You know, if you're going to close your church so you can watch an American football game or a baseball game or a hockey match, you, you might as well just close it on Sunday morning then because long ago we have decided that football or sports are more important than God. It's tragic. But, you know, there are churches all across my land, and I suspect, you know, it's probably true in Canada as well, where once Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, the people assemble together for the preaching of the Word of God. But, you know, Mother's Day comes. And we say, well, let's celebrate Mother's Day by canceling the preaching of the Bible. Father's Day comes. Let's celebrate Father's Day. We'll cancel the preaching of the Bible. How better to honor Jesus on Christmas than to cancel preaching services? Let's just cancel a service. Why? We don't need to preach. It's only Resurrection Day. And, you know, pretty soon we cancel the preaching of the Word of God for the sake of convenience. And now many churches say, why gather it all on Sunday night? Why, 20 minutes a week on Sunday morning, isn't that enough? No, 20 minutes of Bible a week is not enough. For a child to grow, they need milk. For a Christian to grow, they need the milk of the Word of God. You and I need to assemble together where we hear the bread of life, where we gather with God's people and lift up our voice in praise. And when this man, Elimelech, says, I can leave Bethlehem, Judah, I can leave the house of bread and praise behind, it is the first choice of a series of choices that will destroy his family. Number one, he was willing to leave the house of bread and praise. But notice, number two, he was willing to go to Moab. Would you notice how the Bible puts it in Ruth chapter number one? In verse number one, it says that he went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Fascinating statement, isn't it? I, I, I'm quite certain he doesn't sit down now and say, all right, now, wife, all right, now, Malon and Killian, what we're going to do is we're going to turn our back on the God of Israel. We're going to run into the land of Moab and we're going to bow down in front of the first idol that we see. Of course he didn't do that. But you notice how the Bible puts it. It's so subtle, isn't it? He went first, it says, into the country of Moab. Not to the big cities, not to the houses where the idols are. Oh, no, 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 no. No, we're just going to go to the countryside. And we're just going to find an old ranch out there. We'll go find a farm someplace. We're not going to get anywhere, those dirty cities of Moab. So we'll just live out in the country. And you notice the other word in verse number one? It's the word sojourn. Now, that's a fascinating word because the word sojourn means it's temporary. The word sojourns means we're just going to live alongside for a while. It's a temporary thing. It's a word that means, no, 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 we're not going to join you. No, we're not going to move there permanently. The word sojourn is a word that means just for a short time. So he convinces himself it is all right to go to Moab so long as we stay in the country and so long as we do it for a short season. Isn't that the way we do it? 
I mean, we just convince ourselves, no, 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 we're not going to go into the world and we're not going to do this the world's way. But, you know, there's just a temporary problem that needs to be fixed. You know, if we were reading this morning from Genesis 1 and came to Ruth 1, there would be bells going off and we would kind of start thinking, I've heard this story somewhere before. Yes, that whole story kind of started back in Genesis 13, didn't it? And that was where Lot and Abram, they had servants, they couldn't get along. And Abram said, Lot, this isn't working out. Lot was his nephew. He said, son, this isn't happening. And so they decided to go their separate ways. And remember how the Bible puts it? The Bible tells us that it was Lot who went, oh, no, no, not to Sodom. Oh, no, no, not to Gomorrah. It says that he went out into the countryside. He saw the plains were well watered. And the word of God tells us that from the country, he pitched his tent towards Sodom. He's not living in the city. This is just temporary. We're out here in the country. That makes it okay. Except the problem is the next time you find Lot, he's living right in the middle of the city, isn't he? He's now a resident of Sodom. And that pretty much is the way this thing works. We convince ourselves, number one, it's all right to leave the house of bread and praise. And then number two, we tell ourselves, we talk ourselves into saying, it is all right to go to Moab just so long as I stay in the country and just so long as it's temporary. We're just going to sojourn here. But notice, if you would, decision three comes along. And the Bible tells us in verse number two, things are about ready to change. Now, it starts out by saying we're going into the country of Moab to continue there. Now, the Bible tells us that Elimelech, I'm sorry, it says that they came into the country of Moab and continue. So it started in verse number one with the word sojourn. And now in verse number two, it's the word continue. That's just a subtle change, isn't it? It's not such a big deal, is it? Sojourn means to just come temporarily as an immigrant to stay and leave. But the word continue changes from temporary to indefinite. Continued there means, well, I'm not sure when we're leaving. Oh, we're going to leave. I just don't know when. So do you see how subtle this is? Here is a man that grew up with his parents teaching him, Jehovah, the God of Israel, is our king. We are going to follow his word. We're going to do what he says with our lives. It is not my wallet is my king. It is not my business is my king. It is not my entertainment is my king. The God of Israel is my king. That's what the young man was taught. He marries a woman who means sweetness. They live, they got everything going for them. It's all fine until there's a famine in the land. And now he says, I don't need the house of bread and praise. Now he says, so long as I stay in the country and sojourn, I can go to Moab. But the longer he's in Moab, it turns from sojourn to continued there. The man is making choices. Notice the next choice. This is not a choice Elimelech makes. It's a choice his wife makes. In verse number three, it says that Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now, there's a great problem here. Because when the Bible tells us uh, an Israelite died in a foreign land, if he were buried in that foreign land, it would be a great curse. And, you know, we ought to really ask this lady, Naomi, what are you doing? I, I mean, it's only a three days journey, you know, maybe a four-day journey. It's not that far to Bethlehem. And the Bible says that for an Israelite to be buried in a pagan land, Amos 7, 17, it's a curse. So what are you doing burying your husband in the land of Moab? Remember the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 50? It's the very last thing in the book of Genesis. The old man Joseph said to his boys, I'm going to die. I'm about ready to go home to be with the Lord. But he said, when I die, I don't care if I look like an Egyptian or dress like an Egyptian. He even had an Egyptian name. He said, you need to know I'm not an Egyptian. 
so you don't bury me in the sands of Egypt. When I die, you put me in a coffin, and I don't care how long it takes. It took a long time, centuries. But he says, you get me out of here, and you bury me in the land of promise, Canaan. That's exactly what happened. And it's a great testimony for a man of Israel. You don't get buried in the land of Moab. But you know, the Bible says that Elimelech died. You know, that man made a choice. I can leave the house of bread and praise. That man made a choice to sojourn in the countryside. That man made the choice to continue there. But now he doesn't make the choice. The Bible tells us it has gone from temporary sojourn to indefinite continue there. For Elimelech, he is going to be buried there. The curse of God is on the Elimelech family. The judgment of God is hanging over them. A disobedience to the word of God has become awfully permanent. And now this man has been buried in a pagan land. My, exactly what God had said. But notice what happens next. The Bible tells us that that verse number, uh, verse number four, that they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. So now this thing goes from bad to worse, doesn't it? That is exactly what God said. You know, the number one reason that God said you don't go to a place like Moab is because your boys are going to meet pretty young Moabitess girls. Your daughters are going to breed handsome young Moabitess men. And their hearts are going to go thump, 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 and they're going to say, wilt thou? And they're going to get married, and, and you know what's going to happen. Well, God says one day it's going to be the feast to Jehovah. And you're going to invite your daughters-in-law, and they're going to come to the feast of Jehovah. But next week, the daughters-in-law, their family's going to have a feast to Chemosh, the pagan idol. And your boys are going to be expected to go to the worship of Chemosh. I mean, after all, isn't peace in the family the most important thing? No, obedience to the word of God is the most important thing. Now the Bible tells us that not only is the man buried, but his sons have married pagan daughters. Exactly what God said would happen. I mean, do you understand, folks, if you could go back in time, say 15 years, whatever the time frame was, and if you would have said, you know, one day before there was a famine now, you know, one day, Elimelech, you're going to go live in Moab. One day you're going to be surrounded by paganism. And one day your daughters are going to, or your sons are going to marry Moabitess daughters. Do you know how impossible that would have sounded? Do you know how ridiculous that would have been? I mean, Elimelech would have either gotten angry or he would have just dismissed that with a flip of the hand. I mean, there was absolutely no way that any true Israelite would ever do any one of these things. And if you would have told Elimelech that one day he was going to be buried in the pagan sands of Moab, I mean, that's a cursed land. That would never happen. But then came the famine in the land and everything changed. Whoever would have thought this? The dad is buried in Moab. The sons have married Moabites. Now, we can sit here today and say, well, one of those Moabitesses happened to be a little lady named Ruth. And you would be right about that. However, the fact that God is merciful and God is gracious and God is good doesn't hide the fact that you and I better make sure we're still obeying the word of God. Or in other words, as somebody put it, I guess a fellow could climb up a tree, fall out of the tree and land on his feet. But just because somebody got lucky, you and I better not eat lunch in trees this afternoon. Stay out of the tree. And just because God shows incredible mercy and God takes the disobedience of the Elimelech family and from it all there comes one of the greatest women in world history, that doesn't mean that you and I should provoke or tempt the very goodness of Almighty God. If you love me, keep my command. You see the choices? 
we can leave the house of bread and praise. So, sojourn, no, 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 country, we're not going to And now all of a sudden continued there to buried there to married there. Nobody would have ever believed. Would you notice what happens next? One more thing. The Bible tells us the name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. Exactly what God had said. And then in verse number 6, the Bible says they, and here's the word, dwelled there about 10 years. Well, the word dwelled dwell means now they're living there. Now they belong there. Now it's home. So it started out with the word sojourn, very, very temporary. And sojourn turned into the word continued. The word continue shrugs your shoulders and says we're not sure when. And now the Bible tells us they're dwelling there. That's their residency. That's their home. It's a permanent thing. And would you notice the Bible tells us they dwelled there for 10 years. For 10 long years, Malon is married to Ruth and Kilion is married to Orpah. For 10 long years, they lived there in the land. Now this thing is turned into decades of disobedience to the Word of God. And what do you know? Tragedy strikes again in verse number 5. Malon and Killian died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. And now all of a sudden in Ruth chapter 1, verse number 6, we are facing a crisis. This woman, her husband is dead. Her sons are dead. And think about it. There are two sons, Malon and Killian. They have married women named Ruth and Orpah. They were married now for 10 years. 10 years into these marriages, there were still no children. There is nobody to carry on the family name. There is no, nobody to take care of this woman, Naomi, when she turns into an old lady. No, it is not just the death of a husband. It is not just the death of two sons. But what we have in Ruth 1 in verse number 5 is the death of a family. And you've known widows that had hard times. I've known widows that have had hard times. But widows in Bible times, life was incredibly cruel for them. Nobody would watch for them. You couldn't have a harder life. And now here is a woman facing a, a future that says there's nobody to care. There's nobody to put food on the table. My life has fallen apart. They have disobeyed the Bible every single step of the way. And now the Bible tells us they have reaped what they have sown. But it happens step by step by step. One day a fellow, and I'll promise you, before there was a famine in the land, he would have said, me, an Ephrathite family moving to Moab, not happening, buddy. My boys marrying Moabitesses, that's not going to happen. You mean me, the Ephrathite clan, to be buried in the land of Moab? No way. But do you see how step by step by step this is so subtle? It starts with the man saying, I can afford to leave the house of bread and praise. Who says, I can sojourn in the country. Who says, I can continue here. Who finally is buried there. His sons get married there. And the next thing you know, they live there. So five years from now, I mean, in a crowd this size, I, I'm not going to say you, you, or how do I know? But one of us in this room, almost for certain five years from now, is going to have a life of heartache and a life of disaster. No, 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 I don't mean somebody's going to face a medical battle. That'll happen to, to perhaps many. Or somebody's going to face family problems or a, a financial issue. No, 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 those things happen to good people, to ungodly people, to righteous people, to unrighteous people. But I mean, there's somebody in this room, most likely, who a few years from now is going to have a spiritual shipwreck. 
And the thing is, we're sitting here this morning at Sunday school. We're sitting here, you know, on a snowy morning with Bibles on our lap to sing praises to the Lord. We are in the house of bread and praise. And we're sitting here this morning thinking, you know, I'm serving God. I'm giving to him. We're helping missionaries. We are out trying to serve the Lord. We're faithful to the house of God. Why, something like that, spiritual shipwreck, spiritual ruin, that could never happen to me. And that's why the Bible says, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Because there would have been a day when Elimelech would have said, no way. But then came a famine in the land. And when the hard times come, all of a sudden, men that once were spiritual men and ladies that once were godly ladies, have a way of making some very fleshly choice. And it is so subtle, it is so slow, we convince ourselves I don't need the house of bread and praise on a Sunday night. We convince ourselves that it's all right to sojourn in the countryside of the world. Then we convince ourselves it's all right to continue here until one day, this old world has become our home. There's a warning in Ruth chapter number one for you and for me. If Elimelech could make a spiritual shipwreck of his life, every one of us in this room are in danger of doing the same if we get away from our Lord. 